Anybody else? All right, let's, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you that we can come together and we can open your word. What a privilege, Lord. God, I ask you that you, you would by your spirit, that you would speak to us during this time, that you would move, Lord. God, you told me to speak, and if I speak, in the ability that you supply. So God, I pray that you would fill me. God, fill me with the ability you supply, Lord, to speak your word. God, as a church, Lord, I ask you that you would move us for your glory. That you would stir our souls to worship you. And to reach the unreached of this world. Help us, God, as we open your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so a lot of you know this. Some of you may not. This is the last teaching of a series that we've been going through about the Great Commission. So we've been doing this for a couple months. And now we're, this is the last teaching today on the Great Commission. Then we're going to move into something else, okay? Um, <clears throat> before we get on that sheet, if you look at that sheet there, it says senders and goers. We're going to talk about uh, what it looks like for us to fulfill the Great Commission corporately as a church. Uh, but let me say a few things before we go there. You've heard me say this plenty of times, but I, I absolutely love this church. I love, which means I love y'all. I love you guys. I'm thankful for the growth that God has given us. God's given us a lot of growth um, over the past year. And I do. I just praise God for that. So I, I love that. Okay. Now, as I think through, as I think fo forward into the future. Okay. And I encourage you to think with me into the future. Okay. In regards to this church, as we go after fulfilling the Great Commission. Okay. As I think into the future, as I pray about the future of this church, here's some things that come to my mind. A group of people in love with Jesus and steadfast in his word. A group of people sharing the gospel boldly, winning lost souls, teaching the Bible, making disciples, bringing them into this local church. I think of these sort of things in the future. I think of this. God calling out from among us leaders to plant more churches missionaries to send to the unreached, God pulling that out of our church to go and preach the gospel, make disciples, and plant churches in unreached places on this earth. That's what I think about. Think about those things into the future, okay? I think about being a church that trains and equips these leaders, trains and equips these missionaries, and sends them out in a manner worthy of God for the glory of God. I think about these sort of things. I think about having our own missionaries. Think about in the future, this church, Grace Community Church and us having our own missionaries all over the world. Can you imagine the gathering around somebody, laying hands on them, praying over them, and sending them out to the glory of God? And asking and wondering how they're doing over there? How, how and hearing reports back? Can you imagine that? I think about those sort of things all the time. I think about, and maybe I'm taking it too far here, but I think about taking our children, I don't know, maybe annually, to go see Uncle Nick and Aunt Sarah in China. I think about these sort of things, okay? It's the sort of stuff that comes to my mind. And I've been asking God to move by the Holy Spirit, that His Spirit would speak to us today in regards to that situation, in regards to uh, the future of this church, okay? So I'm asking God to do that. Uh, can, you, can you visualize that with me? You think of those things. Does it make you say, come Holy Spirit, do a work among us? It does to me. Now, when I say I'm asking the Spirit of God to speak today, I don't take that lightly. 
understand that in Acts chapter 13, which is a place we're going to be mostly today, in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit spoke, and the result was a, a, a historical moment that turned the world upside down. Okay, so I understand. I'm not taking that lightly, but I'm asking God by His Spirit to speak. So as you hear me today, please hear me with an open heart. Hear me with an open heart. Like Joshua 1.16, where Joshua says, All that you command us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Hear me as, I, as, we, as we speak about this, as I preach on these things. Hear me with an open heart. All that you command us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Ask the Spirit of God to, to move and to speak to you, okay? Uh, we're actually going to end... This meeting, as you see the top of your sheet says, senders and goers. We're actually going to end this meeting by gathering around some of these goers. And some of you already told me that you, you believe God has called you to that, to be a goer to the unreached places on this earth. And some of you maybe have not told me that. But we're going to gather around some goers and we're going to pray for them. That's how we're going to end this meeting today, okay? All right, on your sheet there, let me give a quick Great Commission review. I'm going to read Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. Let me read it. Quick review. This is where we've been. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, this great commission, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Dustin, as, as you see on your sheet there, Dustin spoke last week. He taught last week on an individual responsibility. What is your individual responsibility in regards to the great commission? Today, we're looking at the corporate responsibility, thinking about us as a church, us as a church. What's our responsibility in regards to the great commission? Now, I'm not going to give an exhaustive answer to that, but I do want to zone in on one phrase here in Matthew 28. Matthew 28 says, make disciples, and here's the phrase, of all the nations. So as you think about us corporately going after fulfilling, the, obeying Jesus and the Great Commission, I want that phrase to jump out to you. Of all the nations is what it says right there. I pray that we would be a church burning with passion for Christ Jesus to be exalted among the nations. Every single member of this church, whether you're a sender or whether you're a goer, I pray that we're burning with passion that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go to all, of all nations. It would go to all nations here. Okay. Now, this, this is what this will mean. Okay. This means that we want to be a church that equips and sends leaders and missionaries to preach the gospel, make disciples, plant churches with leadership in as many places, in the unreached places of this earth, in our nation and in unreached nations on this earth. That's what we're aimed at. And what that means is, this means God, God will, and He is, because I've talked to some of you, God will, and He is calling out some from among us to be leaders and missionaries and church planners. I pray for this all the time. Okay? This also means, means God will and is calling out some from among us to be equippers, and senders. Every Christian, every single Christian has a role to play in taking the gospel to the nations. Some may be goers, some may be senders. I'm praying that we'd be a church full of zealous goers. That's your missionaries and those who go overseas or go to an unreached place and full of zealous senders. That's those who get behind them and send them out for the glory of God. I'm praying for that. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let me give you a quick John Piper quote. This is what he said. 
There are only three kinds of Christians when it comes to world missions. Zealous goers, zealous senders, and the disobedient. May God deliver us from disobedience. So he just said that there are zealous goers, there are zealous senders. If this says of all nations, there are zealous goers, zealous senders for the glory of God. And then there's a the disobedient. Who are the disobedient? That's those who neither send nor go. That's those who are uninterested in making disciples of all the nations. You hear me out on that? Who are the disobedient? It's those who see this command, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. They see it as an option, not as a command from our risen Lord. Okay? We don't want disobedience. I'm praying against disobedience here. I prayed against that. And I'm praying that we'd be a church full of zealous goers, zealous senders for his glory among the nations. That's my prayer. Okay? All right. Right there where it says the church at Antioch. Turn with me to Acts 13, 1 through 3. We're going to read that, verse, read that passage. Acts 13. We're going to read verse 1 through 3. Now listen to me. This is talking about the church at Antioch here. Okay? The church at Antioch is a wonderful example for us to imitate, to look at and imitate. We want to be like this church. Let me read... Chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. Here we go. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So it mentions five men. The church at Antioch, and it shows you the leadership here. Certain prophets and teachers. Verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now I'm going to pull out three points from this verse, from this passage here, okay? Verse one is going to be point one. And it's going to be an overview of the church at Antioch. Point two is going to be verse two, okay? And it's going to, we're going to talk about the goers, the goers. Verse 3 will be point 3, and we're going to talk about the senders, okay? So that's where we're headed. The church at Antioch, verse 1, the goers, verse 2, and the senders, verse, verse 3. I encourage you to be, uh, to be moved by, be, to look at this as something that you want to imitate. Ask God, what's my role in this? How does this apply to me? Okay? All right, here we go. Verse 1. Let me read that first part again. Now, in the church that was at Antioch, in the church that was at Antioch. We're going to talk about the beginnings of this church. Okay, let's get an overview of this church. Its beginnings, its responsibility, and its privilege, and also its labors. That's right there on your sheet, okay? So we're going to talk about the church at Antioch. Its beginnings, okay? The beginning of the church at Antioch. You remember, after Christ Jesus died on the cross for our sins, after He had risen from the dead, He gives us great commission, make disciples of all the nations. A time later, He ascends on high as King of kings and Lord of lords, Ten days later after that, the Holy Spirit descends in Jerusalem and, and gospel proclamation and disciple making and church planting just explodes in Jerusalem. That's in Jerusalem. Okay. Now, after some time had gone by, persecution comes down hard on the church at Jerusalem. You can read about all this in Acts. Persecution comes down hard on the church at Jerusalem and people are forced to flee everywhere. So people from the church at Jerusalem, they, they flee. Some stay, but many flee. They're scattered to different places, and one of the places they land is Antioch. Okay, go with me to Acts 11. 
Acts 11 verse 19 shows us the beginning of what happened in Antioch. So that persecution goes down. Verse 19 says, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So, the gospel comes to Antioch. Why? Because these people are scattered after the persecution and they go to Antioch and many other places preaching the word of the Lord, preaching the gospel. Okay? Now, Antioch was a city, a very large city, 300 miles away from Jerusalem. That's about a five-hour drive. They didn't have cars. It's about 10 to 15-day walk. This was a large and prosperous city. Josephus, a Jewish historian, said it was the, the third greatest city in the Roman Empire. That's a big deal. It was situated on a major trade route, which meant there's a whole bunch of diversity. Jews, Gentiles, so on. A lot of diversity here. And you actually see that in the leadership of this church in Acts chapter 13. So the gospel is preached there. It says the hand of God is on these people preaching the gospel there. And many people turn to the Lord in Antioch. Antioch. Now, when the church at Jerusalem hears news. That the gospel is just spreading like wildfire in Antioch. When they hear that, they send Barnabas to take the 300 mile journey over to Antioch and do work there. So they send him out. Okay. Now when he gets there, Barnabas starts just, you can read this in Acts 11. He just starts praising God and rejoicing for what God is doing in Antioch. And then many more people come to know Christ through Barnabas. He's a man full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. Okay. Now, eventually, Barnabas, he's there working. Okay, he's sent from Jerusalem. He's working in Antioch. He eventually goes and fetches Paul. Or it calls him Saul here, but we know him as Paul. They go fetch Paul, brings him there, and those two labor. Okay, they labor for the glory of God in Antioch as leaders there. Look at 11 verse 26. Verse 26. And when he had found him, that's when Barnabas had found Paul or Saul. He brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So here's what you have. You've got Paul there. You've got Barnabas there. You've got this church there. They're laboring among them, teaching the word of God. And the Christians are first. The, the, the disciples are first called Christians here in Antioch. And by the time you get to Acts 13, verse one, where we've already read. You've got a church planted there in Antioch with leadership, with a very diverse leadership team. Now, what you have in Antioch at this point is a completed work. You say, what do you mean by a completed work? Well, I don't mean everybody was saved in Antioch. But in one sense, there was a completed work in Antioch. There's a church there with leadership, which I'm suggesting to you is a completed work. In other words, I've... I've, I've wrestled with myself over this wanting to dig into deep deeper here but we don't have enough time for that but a completed work when we think about making disciples of all the nations and we think about unreached people groups over this earth when is a work complete there and i'm suggesting to you when there's a church with leadership we're going to bump into that in acts 13 and 14 in just a minute in this section you also see that in titus chapter 1 verse 5 when titus is in crete and paul writes to him and he says hey appoint elders there because something's lacking it's incomplete there. Titus 1.5. So a complete work. 
when the gospel is proclaimed, disciples are made, churches planted, leadership. Well, that's happened in Antioch. Now, in one sense, that's happened here. Okay, in a sense. In other words, the reason I say in a sense, I don't mean our work is complete. We can all go home and rest. I don't mean that. Everyone's not saved here. But in this sense, as you think about all nations and the task that we have in the Great Commission, in this sense, the work here is like Antioch completed. We've, the gospel is proclaimed here. Disciples are made. Church planted leadership. And we're not the only church around. Okay? Now, think about complete works. We're going to go on that. Okay? Now, what is their responsibility and their privilege? Okay? And the reason why I say responsibility, the church at Antioch had something that they must do. It's their responsibility. The church at Antioch had something that not only is their responsibility, but their privilege, something they get to do. What is it? It was binding on them. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. The church at Antioch must be a church that makes disciples of all the nations. Let me say it another way. Their responsibility and their privilege was to do in all nations what had been done in Antioch. They, they needed to do in all nations what had been done among them. What, what had happened among them in Antioch? The gospel had been proclaimed. We see that in Acts 11. Disciples had been made. You see that in Acts 11, 26. And there's a church there with leadership. Acts 13, verse 1. And that situation, they had this responsibility. They must, in this privilege, they get to spread that out to the ends of the earth to unreached places. Now, did they take, did they feel the weight of their responsibility? The church at Antioch. Did they feel the greatness of this privilege? And I say absolutely yes. And I say that because as you continue to read through Acts, you see them take action and preach the gospel, make disciples, plant churches in unreached places. You see them doing that. Also, even right here in verse 1 through 3, Acts 13, 1 through 3, even right there you see that they take the responsibility very seriously. And they see the greatness of this privilege. Why? Because they proclaim a fast. These people have come together and among themselves, at least these five men, if not more, they proclaim a fast. And they're fasting as if, as if to say, Holy Spirit, speak to us. And he did. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Show us the right way. Empower us to take the gospel to the nations. And here you see them doing that in verse 1 through 3. They took this serious. Now, what about us? So turn it in on us. Do we take, do you feel the weight of this responsibility? Make disciples of all the nations. Plant churches. Jesus exalting churches in all the nations. Do you feel the weight of that? Do you feel the greatness of that privilege that we get to be a part of God's plan in doing that? As a church, do you? Will we take action? Will we fast and pray and seek the Lord as they did? Let that sit in your mind. What about us? And I pray that there's passionate yeses to every one of those questions. Okay, let's talk about this church's labors, okay? Their labors. If you read Acts 13 and 14, you get a wonderful glimpse into the church at Antioch's labors. Because what you get in Acts 13 14 is the first missionary journey by Paul and Barnabas. Here's, excuse me, here's what I mean by that. What you see in Antioch is you see a group of zealous senders and zealous goers. And you see Paul and Barnabas take off on this first missionary journey to reach the unreached. They go to different cities and then they come back to those cities and go back to Antioch. And that's what we have in Acts 13 and 14. I encourage you to read it that way and try to see that one day. So what we see 
is the, the senders, the church at Antioch, sends out Paul and Barnabas. They go to a city, two cities in Cyprus. They go to another city, another city, another city. The last city they go to is Derby. Now, after they go to Derby, they go back to those same cities and go back home. What were they doing all this time? When they went to these cities, what were they doing? Look at chapter 14, verse 21. We're going to get a good summary. Chapter 14, verse 21. Here's a good summary. You should read the whole thing, but here's a good summary about what they were doing in these cities, these different cities they went to. Verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. So what were they doing in these cities? They're sent out. By the church at Antioch, they go to a city, preach the gospel, make disciples, strengthen the believers, preach the gospel, make disciples, strengthen the believers. Okay, this is what they're doing. Let me add a layer on that. Look at verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church, where church come from? That's what they did. They preached the gospel, made disciples until there was a church there. They're planting churches in these places. And when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So here they had got churches with leadership. That's what they're going after. Okay. Now, finally, as you keep reading in the verse 26 to 27, finally, they arrive at home. Okay. And when they get home, they gather the church together at Antioch and they report all that God had done. Look at verse 26. From there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended by the great, to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. They had completed a work. Some of your versions say fulfilled. This is what I meant earlier when I said a complete work. They had completed a work. Well, what had they done? They had went to these cities, preached the gospel, made disciples, plant churches, leadership. Okay, that's what's going on. Now, after that happened, look at this beautiful picture. I love this. Verse 27. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together, they're back home. They're back at their home church, Antioch. And when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, this is a beautiful picture of the whole church being zealous to see Christ Jesus exalted in all the nations. And yet you have various roles, some senders, some goers, but all fellow workers for the glory of God among the nations. Now, we see the church in Antioch. This is Acts 13 and 14, first missionary journey. We see the church in Antioch do this again in Acts 15. We see them do it again in Acts 18. Okay, I take it, I assume that this was a pattern for this church, that they were about sending out missionaries for the glory of God. And that's what I want to aim us at today. Okay, what about our labors? What about our church? Have you caught this vision? Grace Community Church, a church full of senders, a church full of goers for planting Jesus exalting churches to the ends of the earth. Have you caught that vision? And if you have, if you're a part of this church, let me give you a quick exhortation from Acts 13, verse one through three. From those three verses, we see this, that God made prayer and fasting a launching pad for something. And if you dig into what that went down right here, this was a historic moment that changed the course of world history. 
And God made fasting and prayer a, a launching pad for that. Therefore, let us be a people given over to fasting and prayer towards this same direction that we might make disciples of all the nations, that we might plant Jesus exalting churches in all the nations. Everybody with me there? Okay. These next two points, I encourage you take them very personally. These next two points, we're going to look at verse two, where we look at the goers and verse three, where we look at the senders. Take these very personally at the end of this. This is what we're going to do. I mean, ask the spirit of God to speak to you. Silently ask him to speak to you as we talk about these things. OK, as I preach this to you at the end of this, you who believe and many of you have talked to me and some of you, maybe you haven't, but you who believe that God has called you to be a goer, we're going to gather up around you at the end of this and we're going to pray for you. And we're going to have this thing going on. We have zealous goers and zealous senders praying that we as a church might be able to bring glory to his name to the ends of the earth. So that's where we're headed. Take these next two points. Very personal. OK, verse two, the goers. Let's read verse two. Acts 13 two. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said. Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Okay, so what happened in Acts 13 is obviously a work of the Spirit of God. He spoke the mission into existence. You see what it said? The Holy Spirit said it is obviously a work of the Spirit of God. And verse two, at the end of verse two, it says to the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit called Paul and Barnabas to a work. Do you see that in that verse? This is a work of the Spirit of God. I pray this often. Holy Spirit, call out men and women from among us to take your gospel to the nations. God, do this. Call out men and women from among us to a work by your Holy Spirit. I ask God for that all the time. Do that with me. Okay. Now, the Holy Spirit will, as I said earlier, he will. And he is calling out some from among us to be goers, to be goers. What does it mean to be called by the Holy Spirit to be a goer? What does that mean? OK, and we're going to talk about that for just a minute. What does it mean to be called by the Holy Spirit to be a goer? And let me start by telling you what I don't mean. OK, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean some have the calling and some don't as if being a goer puts you on some kind of superior spiritual realm. So I don't mean that, okay? In one sense, all believers have a calling on their life. All called to make disciples. All are some called not to be goers, but to be senders. Okay, so I don't mean that. Let me tell you something else I don't mean. I do not mean that if you're not called now to go to the nations to be a goer, that you never will be. Every single one of us, a healthy Christian, ought to be burning in his or her soul for Christ Jesus to be exalted among the nations. And therefore, he always, he or she always comes to God with a blank check. It says Joshua 1.16, all that you command us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Every healthy Christian walks that way. So I don't mean that you will never be called to that. Here's what I, here's what I don't mean. I do not mean that, that we should walk around indifferently, being indifferent towards the nations, I don't mean that, that this is an excuse for that, okay? We're indifferent for the nations waiting for a fuzzy feeling or a burning bush experience. When I say called by the Holy Spirit, I don't mean that, okay? 
And to say I'm not called by God is not a good excuse to be indifferent towards millions and millions of people that are perishing with no access to the gospel. It's no excuse for that. So that's not what I mean. So I don't mean these things when I say called out by the Holy Spirit to be a goer. But I also don't mean that it's mechanical. I don't mean we say, hey, there's a need in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Reese, you fit. Be ready next week. I don't mean that. It's not mechanical. I mean called by the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be called by the Holy Spirit to be a goer? Let me run three quick thoughts by you. Okay, here we go. Number one, rightly motivated desires. That means there's desire there. I'll explain that in a minute. And they need to be rightly motivated. Number two, inspired by God's word. And number three, confirmed by the church. So rightly motivated desires, inspired by God's word and confirmed by the church. Let's start with those rightly motivated desires. Are you called by the Holy Spirit? Is there a desire there? And I don't mean a desire for the nations and a desire for Christ to be exalted among the nations. We all should have that. I'm talking about a desire to go, to be a goer. Is there a burden there? I like that word burden. Is it there? Now, where do you see this in the scripture? Well, one place right here where we're at, it does not look like when I read Acts 13 and 14, that they had to twist Paul and Barnabas' arm to make them go. In fact, when you get to the second missionary journey in Acts 15, Paul actually comes to Barnabas and says, hey, we got to go see those people we've already been to and we got to go further. You see that? They wanted to go. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said the first sign of a call of a call is an intense and all absorbing desire for the work. An intense and all-absorbing desire for the work. In the scriptures, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. To be a leader in a church, it gives you the qualifications. And one of those, the, the first thing that it says in that list of qualifications is, if you desire the position of an overseer, you desire a good work. The desire must be there. Okay? And are these desires rightly motivated? Do you desire, do you have a burden to be a goer? Are they rightly motivated? Not motivated by adventure, the adventure of the missionary life. Not motivated by self-righteousness. God will love me more if I be a missionary. It's not that. And it's not motivated by, well, I've got nothing else to do. Okay? That's not what we're doing. We're talking about motivated by the Holy Spirit with this burden to be a goer. Is it there? Motivated by the Holy Spirit usually looks something like this. Jealousy for the glory of God among the nations. And therefore you want to go. A, a, a feeling of a responsibility under the command of God who said make disciples of all the nations. A deep compassion for lost souls that have no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we're talking about. And you could go on, etc., etc., on those right motivations. Now this brings me to my next point. Okay, so rightly motivated desires. And then here we go, inspired by the word of God. Turn to Romans 15. Inspired by the word of God. Now what you're going to see in Paul's life right here, in Paul's life, you're going to see a deep desire. He calls it an ambition. You're going to see this desire to go where Christ is not named. And you're going to see that, that those desires are rooted in the word of God. Look at verse 20. We're going to start in verse 20. You can, if you want to read the whole section, it's Romans 15, 18 through 23, but we're just going to go right here to verse 20. 
Paul says, And so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. So Paul says his aim. Some of your verses says, says ambition. His aim, his ambition, a calling on his life was to preach the gospel. And all of us have that. But then he says where Christ is not named. He was called, he had an ambition to be a goer. You see that? Now this ambition and the desires for this ambition was so strong that look at verse 22 and 23. He actually had other desires that, he, that got swept under the rug because he wanted to go after this ambition and this desire. Look at verse 22. For this reason, I've also been much hindered in coming to you. For now, no longer having, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. Okay. He had a great desire to do something. He had a great desire to do something for many years. He had a great desire to do something for many years, which was a good thing. Go visit them in Rome. But you know what the problem was? He had these other desires, this ambition to preach Christ, to be a goer. And the gospel was already in Rome and he wanted to be a goer. He saw this ambition on his life to go to the unreached places. And so he actually swept those desires to the side. This is the kind of ambition we're talking about. Now, what, where, what does that get rooted in in this passage? The word of God. Look at verse 21. Actually, let's start in verse 20 and read into verse 21. And so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. Why, Paul? Why? But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. He quotes a verse from the Old Testament. His desires and this rightly motivated desire is rooted and inspired by the word of God. Are you called by the Holy Spirit to go? Last point. Confirmed by the church. You see this in Acts 13. As the church in verse 3, we'll get there in a minute, comes around them, lays hands on them and sends them out. Okay. Acts 11 verse 22. You see the same thing with Barnabas. Barnabas sent out by the church of Jerusalem to Antioch. Proverbs 20 verse 8 says, By wise counsel, wage war. Wage war, which is what missionary work is, goer work is. And he says, do it by wise counsel. And if you look at, if you read First and Second Timothy, three times Paul refers back to this commissioning or this, this uh, confirming, commissioning time that Timothy went to before he went to Ephesus, okay? Where these people came around him and laid hands on him, prophesied over him and sent him out. Three times. In fact, he tells them, by this, wage a good warfare. Commissioned by the church. And let me say, let me pause there for a minute and say this. We as a church, I can speak for Dustin and I, and I can speak for many of us here, okay? We as a church long, long to send out people to, the unre to glorify Jesus in the unreached places on this earth and therefore to send people to those places. We long for that, okay? So if you believe God is calling you to that, okay, talk to us, talk to, talk to myself, talk to Dustin, talk to us. We want to hear from you. I want to pray with you. I want to talk to you about those desires. I want to talk to you about this, this thing that you have and you think you may be called to be a goer. So come and contact us about that, please. Now, let me give a quick exhortation to all goers. If you look at verse two, Acts 13, verse two, if we go back there. 
Acts 13, 2, it says this. As, the, as they ministered to the Lord, or some of your versions say worshipped, and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, as they fasted. Please do not neglect. This is my exhortation. Please do not neglect fasting in prayer. With your fasting, okay, with an aim towards this, that we're, what we're reading about, the nations here. With this fasting, this is what you'll be saying. I want you, Lord Jesus, and I need you more than food. And I get that from Matthew 9, 15. You'll be saying with your fasting, come, Lord Jesus, and empower me to take your gospel to the nations. Give me wisdom to take your gospel to the nations. Please don't neglect that. Okay, verse 3. We're going to the sinners. Look at Acts 13, 3. Ever had a hundred people watch you drink water? It's weird. Verse three. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, it seems like here in this verses, this the leadership team, those five men who are fasting and praying and worshiping the Lord and the Holy Spirit speaks. And it seems like these five men is what it's referring to. They laid hands on them and sent them away. Okay, but, but I with complete confidence can tell you that this is not just a leadership thing. This was a church at Antioch thing. Okay, why can I say the church at Antioch sent them out? Because when you get at the end of chapter 14, when they get back, what do they do? They gather that church together and they say, let me tell you what God's done. And they talk about what God had done among the nations. Okay, what he had done in these unreached places. Now. I can also tell you when you get to Acts 15 and they do the second missionary journey at the end of Acts 15, it says they were commended by the brethren to the grace of God. So I, so commended by the brethren, I can with confidence say Acts 13, 1 through 3, when I think senders, I'm talking about the church at Antioch were senders here. Now, ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the sender. He's the one that spoke the mission into existence. In fact, when you read verse 4, it attributes all the credit to him. Look at verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Now you should, maybe a question comes up in your mind. Verse 3 just said they were sent out by them. Now he says sent out by the Holy Spirit. Because ultimately it's the Spirit of God that does this. Therefore, ultimately a goer does not need to rely on men does not need to trust in people. They can rely on the Holy Spirit who will empower them, teach them, move them, provide for them, etc. The Holy Spirit of God will do that. Now, but obviously, God uses the Holy Spirit. I mean, God uses the church. The Holy Spirit uses the church to send people out right here. You see that? God, the Holy Spirit, uses the church to send out Labors. Now, let me, let me do a quick side note. Quick side note. Lone Ranger missionaries are not the biblical norm. Lone Ranger missionaries is not the biblical model here. Now, here's the thing. There have been men throughout history that went to the nations without, outside of the confirmation or commissioning of the church. That has happened. Because the churches were uninterested in the gospel going to the nations. Now, we ought to take those men and we ought to praise God. They saw the gospel need to go to the nations. They saw that. And we need to praise God for their faith. 
And we need to praise God for their courage. And we need to imitate their faith and imitate their courage. But don't forget, do not forget that this is also a sign of weak, unhealthy churches. Where, was the, where were the churches that would get in behind them for the glory of God and say, we're sinners and we want to see the gospel go to the nations? Where were they at? God uses his people, the church, as senders. And I'm asking God to do that with our church. Make us a church that sends out missionaries for the glory of God. Are you praying for this? Are you longing for this? Let me give you four examples, okay? Very, very quickly. Four examples of faithful, God-glorifying, nations-impacting senders, okay? Four examples. Faithful, God-glorifying, nation-impacting senders. Number one, it's right here in Antioch. I don't have to say much. That's where we're at. The church at Antioch, right here, okay? Can you imagine this? Can you picture that into the future? Do you long for it? The day we gather around somebody or some group and we, we lay hands on them and we pray for this group. And next thing we know, they're off working in an unreached place, seeking to preach the gospel and make disciples. Can you imagine hearing a report back about how things are going? So-and-so got saved, pray for them. So-and-so, so-and-so got saved, pray for them. The gospel is exploding here. Do you love that thought? Second example, the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi, the Philippian church. If you read Philippians 4.15, Paul writes in Philippians 4.15, Paul writes to Philippi, the Philippian church, and this is what he says. You Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving Except you only. Here's a church at Philippi. Senders entering into a partnership with a goer named Paul. Entering into this partnership for the glory of God among the nation's fellow workers. Do you see it? Number three. Number three. Gaius. There's a guy named Gaius from 3 John. You remember him? Gaius from 3 John. Now if you read 3 John, Gaius is commended. He is commended for being one that sent out missionaries in a manner worthy of God. Now, listen to verse 7 of 3 John. He's talking about the missionaries. They have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. So you got Gentiles, nations. They're going to the nations, accepting nothing for them, from them, excuse me. And it says they go out for the sake of the name. They go out for the glory of God among the nations. And listen to verse 8. Verse 8 says, we ought to support people like these, that we might may be fellow workers for the truth. Did you hear that? We ought to support people like these, those who go to the nations for the sake of the name. We ought to support people like these, and those who support people like these, they become fellow workers for the truth. Isn't that a beautiful picture? All of us working to exalt Christ Jesus in the unreached places on this earth. And you have goers and you've got senders. Now, let me give you one more example, okay? And this is not in the Bible. This is Andrew Fuller. Andrew Fuller. I'm going to commend a biography to you, okay? Andrew Fuller. John Piper wrote a biography on him. It's called Andrew Fuller. I will go down if you will hold the rope. Now, Andrew Fuller was a guy who played an integral role and sending William Carey to India in the 1790s. Now, most people know about William Carey. 
who went to India in the 1790s. But now many know about Andrew Fuller, the sender who was behind the scenes. Andrew Fuller was a pastor in a small town for about 30 plus years. Now, through Andrew Fuller and William Carey came this famous rope holder analogy. Some of you may have heard it. It's where William Carey looked at William Carey, the goer, looked at Andrew Fuller, the sender, and some other brothers, too, that were senders. And he said, I will go down into the well. That's the dark unknown. That's the goer. I'll go down into the well if you'll hold the rope. And according to John's Piper's, John Piper's biography, this man, Andrew Fuller, held the rope more firmly and tenaciously than anyone else. And I commend that biography to you. I think it's very glorifying to God. Okay, so what is entailed in sending people out? I wish I had more time here, but I don't. What is entailed in us being a sending church? It means equipping them, equipping the goers. Ephesians 4.11, right? It says God gives gifts to his church. And some of those gifts are pastors and teachers. And it says for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Our, our role as a church, equip those goers. Second, confirm and commission. Confirming and commissioning them. Confirming, what do you mean? Well, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.22, don't lay hands on anyone hastily. In other words, you don't want to lay hands on someone hastily and share in their sins. We confirm that they're qualified for this work and commissioning them. I just say it again. Can you imagine it? Laying hands on them like here in Acts 13 and commissioning them out for the glory of God among the nations. And lastly, supporting them financially and with prayer and with encouragement. If you read, you read Philippians, this church that was partnered with Paul, you'll see that all through Philippians. Getting behind them financially, getting behind them praying for them, getting behind them with encouragement. Now, I pray that we'd be a church where every single member, whether you are a, a, a sender or whether you are a goer, we'd be a church zealous, hungry to see Christ Jesus exalted among the nations and not, and not falling into this mindset. Let me say this quickly. This mindset that's common in our culture where those who long for the nations go, and then if you don't long for the nations, maybe you're just supposed to stay here. That's not the case. Every healthy believer hungry for Christ Jesus to be exalted among the nations. To the God, for the gospel to go in places where it has not reached. With different roles. Now, quick exhortation to senders. All you senders called by God to be senders. Here's the exhortation. Look at verse 3. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them. They sent them away. Please do not neglect fasting and prayer, especially in regards to sending people out to the nations. Okay, with your fasting, you'll be saying this. We want you and we want your leading. Oh, God, Holy Spirit, what is the will? What is your will for the mission of this church? We want to know your will. We want to obey you and follow you more than we want to eat. Is what you'll be saying with your fasting and with your prayer. Now, we're about to enter into a time of prayer, okay? Senders and goers, sinners and goers coming together to pray for each other, for God's glory and to the ends of the earth. You know this, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot at stake here, okay? And there's a lot that should put an urgency in your soul. There's a lot here that should make you, make you feel very urgent about what we're about to pray toward, okay? And one of those points of urgency 
is that there are multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people perishing every, every day with no access to the gospel. Eternity in hell, no access to the gospel. So here's what I want to do quickly. I want to place the multitudes in front of you. I just want to put the multitudes right here. And remember in Matthew 9, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. And he looked at his disciples and commanded them, pray, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. So I'm praying for that. I'm going to set the multitudes in front of you now. Okay. Be moved with compassion. Listen to this. The Kurdish people, the Kurdish people, 25 million people. Do you hear that? 25 million people. They make up 40% of Turkey's population, 30% of Iraq's population, 10% of Syria's population, 100% Islam. 25 million people. Does it grab you? Another one. The Shua Arabs. It's 2 million people living in central Chad. That's in Africa. 2 million people living in central Chad. One resource said that there's less than 10 known believers there and only one missionary family working among them. Does it move you? The Balak people of Pakistan. 7 million people. 100% Muslim. If you live here, more than likely, you're born and you live and you die and you never hear of Christ Jesus. You never hear the gospel. The people of West Bengal in India, hear me, 90 million people, 73% Hindu, almost all the rest Muslim. Hyderabad district of India, 440 different people groups, almost all of them unreached. 440 different people groups there, almost all of them unreached. The Wolof people of Senegal, 5 million people, 99% Muslim, zero known fellowships there, zero known churches there. The Berber people of Morocco, 3 million people, zero churches. The Laotian Thai people of Laos, 3 million people, almost all of them Buddhist and animist. Somalia, 10 million people in Somalia, 21 people groups, almost all of them unreached for the gospel of Jesus. Iran, 76 million people, 76 million people, 93 people groups, almost all of them unreached with the gospel. Nepal, 341 people groups, which equals 31 million people, 99.5% never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. What about countries in South America that are shrouded in false gospels and false sects? Okay, what about those guys like Peru, 30 million people, Argentina, 42 million people, Bolivia, 10 million people, Colombia, 48 million people. If you have doubts as to the need there, speak to John. He's from there or speak to John Mark Skinner. who's there. He's been over a year there. Okay. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. It's not even the tip of the iceberg. These are the multitudes. Now, what if God, what if God used us in a similar way that he used Adoniram Judson? Do you know who Adoniram Judson is? 
Adoniram Judson was a missionary to Burma, modern-day Myanmar, in the 1800s, okay? He was called the father of American missions because as far as people know, he's one of the first American missionaries to be sent overseas, okay? Adoniram Judson, 24 years old, he leaves, he labors in Burma, which is it's, it's, uh, bordered next to China and India, so get an idea, okay, it's bordered with China and India, he labored there for 38 years until he died. Now, Burma, the place he went to, was an unreached place, in fact, it would be considered a closed country by today's standards because of the hostility to the gospel. Adoniram Judson, would God use this man? He gets there and his, his, he, he faces persecution, sufferings. He loses two wives. He loses seven out of 13 children, suffering after suffering after suffering. Six years into his mission, nobody's been saved. And six years in, he baptizes his first convert. Would God use this man? He went in with a goal. What was his goal? His goal was to translate the Bible into their language and to plant a church, one church, with 100 believers. By the time he died, he had translated the Bible into their language, translated a Bible dictionary, planted 100 churches with 8,000 believers. And today there are 4,000 congregations that can trace their lineage back to Adoniram Judson today because of his labors. So I say, I hear these multitudes and I'm placing the multitudes in front of me. I say, what if God uses us like this man? Can he do that? You believe he will? Now, Adoniram Judson and those people who sent him, he was sent out by a local congregation. Adoniram Judson and those people who sent him had zero power in and of themselves, but they served a very powerful God and they carried a very powerful gospel. And we serve the same God and we carry the exact same gospel. Think about it. Think about this gospel, okay? Every single person, all of us, from America to the Uyghur people in China, every single one of us are going to face God in judgment. And everybody outside of Christ stands dead in their sins. They're going to face the wrath of Almighty God when they come before God in judgment one day. Every single person. That's their destiny outside of Christ. If you're a Christian here, you know how to escape the wrath that's coming. You know the love of God. You know the gospel of God. If you're a Christian here, you know that. And yet there's millions and millions and millions who have no idea. They've never heard of Christ Jesus, our God who stepped down into this earth as a human to rescue and save. They don't know about him. They don't know that Christ Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. All my sin laid on Christ, all the sin of the world laid on Christ, and all the wrath of God poured out on him instead of lost sinners. And they know nothing about it. They don't know about the risen Christ who is risen from the dead. He's alive right now. He's king forevermore. And he waits patiently until his enemies are made his footstool. He waits patiently for them to repent. And they don't know about it. They know nothing of the blessings that are found in Christ Jesus. Like the blessings of adopted. Adopted as a son of God. Or the blessings of an inheritance. 
that's incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for us, and they know nothing about it. They don't know about the verse Dustin read earlier, Romans 4. Blessed, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man whom the Lord shall not count sin. Goers. This is the gospel that you carry. You carry this gospel to the unreached. Senders. This is the gospel that you send to the unreached people on this earth. And as a church, I want us to come together and pray for Christ Jesus' glory among the nations. And that God would give us direction. So in a minute, if you believe God has called you to be a goer, and I don't mean to leave them all, but maybe at some point in the future, if you believe God's called you to that, I'm going to ask you to stand up, okay? And what I hope happens is these people, and some of you I know, and some of you I might not, and I hope you stand up full of zeal to take God's, to, to uh, see Christ glorified. To the end of the day. I hope you stand up full of zeal. And I hope everybody who's sitting, it's not this weird second class citizen thing, but you're sitting there called by God to send people for the glory of God among the nations. I hope you see these people stand up because I know most of the faces. You guys might not. You who are part of the church might not. And I hope you see them. And I hope you're full of the exact same zeal. I can't wait to send them out for the glory of God. I hope it's there. And here's what I'm not asking. I'm not saying, when I ask you to stand up in a minute, I'm not saying we're going to send you tomorrow. I'm not even saying that we're affirming that you're called to this. Okay? I'm not saying any of that. We just want to pray for you. Okay? We want to gather together and pray for you. Okay? So let me ask you now, if you believe God has called you to that, would you please stand up? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get you guys to move to the middle, kind of like to this alleyway here. Everybody that's there, move to the middle. And church, everybody, we're going to gather around them. So we can stand. you can move these chairs out of your way. You don't have to you just kick them out of the way. It doesn't matter. We're going to gather around them, and we're going to spend some time praying together as a church toward this end. Anybody is welcome to pray. So everybody else can stand up and let's gather around. Father, I praise you. I praise you, God, that we can come before you. God, I praise you that you are doing what you're doing in this church, God. That you're raising up laborers to send out to the nation. God, we, we want to proclaim together that you are worthy of praise. You're worthy of praise of every people group I just mentioned. You're worthy of their worship. No Hindu God is. No, no, no uh, other religion on this earth God is, is worthy. You, Lord Jesus, are worthy of their praise and their worship. And we want you to be exalted in every nation and tribe and tongue on this earth. And God, I just ask you to use this church. God, I pray for every, every person standing here that it believes that you, God, are leading them to that. God, I pray for them. You give them wisdom. Help them, God, to know. To know what you would have when and where. God, let them partake of the wisdom of your Holy Spirit, God, to be sent out for your glory. And God, I just pray that you, you, would, you would keep them from the distractions of the enemy and all the different things that can come up, God, and stand in their way. I just pray, God, you would move them by the power of your spirit, God.